Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The emotion and Dortmund against all the odds are European champions. Welcome to Believe in Borussia. This is episode number 10. My name is Thilo. This is the Believe Podcast Network, and thank you for tuning in again to your podcast for all things related Borussia Dortmund. In today's fantastic episode, we'll do a quick rundown of the most important results in the last two weeks and revive one legendary night in Munich, the 1997 Champions League final, which was arguably the biggest game in the club's storied history. So Borussia Dortmund ends the season with a cup win, a ticket to the Champions League and a very close Champions League quarterfinal defeat. If somebody would have offered me that before the season, I would have signed it on a dotted line. The way there was a bit rocky, but in the end, the team rewarded the fans and itself. The players obviously also aspired to play better than they did in parts of the season and to win trophies. Just listen to what Jaden had to say after the cup final. We all knew that today was going to be a very important game for all of us and especially for the fans. Um, you know, it's been a long time coming. It's been four years since our last trophy. And, you know, especially such a big club like us, we should be winning trophies season after season. So, you know, two years ago we came close, nearly winning the title. But, um, you know, we knew today that if we had the opportunity to win a cup, we was going to win. And I'm happy today that I stepped up and I scored the two goals and assist Haaland at the end. So I'm very happy. So the Bundesliga is over and so is most of the European soccer calendar. But there's still tons of other things kicking in like MLS, NHL and a personal favorite of mine, the NBA playoffs. So if you want to get in on the action, then you should check out BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. BetOnline has you covered on all the news, scores and odds and it's the best way to place your bets. And it's free to sign up. Just head over to the website betonline.ag Or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And speaking of the NBA, seeing those Knicks fans rock the garden, it gave me black and yellow flashbacks. I mean, how great are fans, really? That game itself, while it was close, let's just say it wasn't maybe basketball on the highest of levels. But the intensity from the stands just turned it into must-watch TV. And what the garden is to the Knicks fan is the temple to Dortmund fans. And it gets even louder just by sheer numbers alone. It might not be the world's most famous stadium, but only because it has so much more competition. I mean, how many legendary basketball arenas are currently in use? You can name Madison Square Garden, um, Boston Garden, everything else... I think is rather new. Not that hard to be world famous. 
Of course, there's also the music, the boxing, the Rangers. But if you compare on the single sport venue, the Westfalen Stadion with its iconic squared architecture, the South Stand, the gigantic yellow pylons, it is up there with any of them. And I can't wait to see it back rocking again either. And speaking of fans, or the lack thereof, Hans-Joachim Watzka, our CEO, toyed with the idea of having the current team play the 2012 Double Champs in 2022 on the 10th year anniversary. That would give a platform to the freshly retired BVB legend Lukas Piszczek, but also Sven Bender, who had played his last game versus Dortmund with Leverkusen, but was also a key cog as a tireless midfield sweeper of the league-winning club juggernauts. And it's a super sympathetic guy too. And obviously another BVB hero, Marcel Schmelzer. Now it's not totally clear where he'll end up next year, but it's most likely it won't be Borussia Dortmund if he still wants to play. So there are lots of reasons and players to bring them back and have a worthy farewell. And we gotta talk about Lukas Piszczek once more. His final two games were absolutely stellar. And he said goodbye with strong performances and another title to his distinguished career. 11 years with the club, 382 games for Borussia, 54 of them in the Champions League. He scored in every competition. He won two German championships, three DFB Cups, three German Super Cups and a Polish title in 2008. A fantastic player on the pitch who always gave it his all and an even better person off of it. He was a quiet and humble leader who inspired others through his hard work and dedication and he even sacrificed his health for Borussia in 2013 as he was playing on the bum hip while still arguably being one of the best fullbacks in the world at that time, lifting Borussia Dortmund into the Champions League final. And the images from the cup final of him being lifted into the air by his teammates, hands folded over his tearful face were instant classics and will become part of the BVB lore for sure. I watched all the tribute videos of the last couple days and over his 11 years career you discover a few other names there where you go, huh, right, he played for us too? A lot of players that come through Borussia's doors should count their blessings that they were able to play for such an amazing club a few moments in time. But Lucas and Marcel, they're a rare breed that have actually honored the club with their long-lasting presence and more importantly, as human beings. You can win titles in a lot of clubs and in a lot of places, but it's the folks you share it with that make it truly special. Your family, your teammates, your fans. And Pichu and Schmeller are all that. Their family, their teammates, and their fans of this club. Jikuye Lukas, danke Marcel. We have another look at Schmeller once it's known where his path leads. But I want to give a shout out to referee Manuel Grefe, who also called the final game of his professional career and actually got to switch shirts with Haaland. A rare honor, but fully deserved. Manuel Grefe, to me, is the best German referee by the long shot. 
he's very popular with the players and he's simply good. Unfortunately, the DFB felt that it was more important to stick to the ancient age cap, which was probably set at a time when half of the refs were like drinking and smoking and whatnot, and, and not in the best of shapes. But if you've seen Gray for call games lately, you know he hasn't missed a beat. But hey, who would want to keep around the best German referee if there were a bunch of unproven youngsters led by the stellar tag team of Felix Brüch and Felix Zweier, two Stickler and Yes Man, who are infamous for their dodgy decision-making on the German and European level. And to top it off, Zweier is an admitted cheater who took 300 euros to help fix a match. But sure, who needs Grefe? Elsewhere in the league, Werder Bremen joined Schalke on the last match day to get relegated to the second division. After 41 years for Werder, and I think 31 years for Schalke, two huge clubs will leave the scene. And if Cologne joins them potentially, the league will be poorer for it. You might not be particularly fond of any of these clubs, obviously not of Schalke, but they all provide a lot of history and substance to the Bundesliga. Across the three clubs, we're talking about losing 150,000 seats, 300,000 members, 15 cups, 14 German championships, albeit the Schalke ones are all ancient. But that's a lot of soccer wealth that gets ripped from the first division and I don't think adequately replaced. Congrats to Bochum, congrats to Firth, and I'm really looking forward to the small Revere Derby with Bochum. But the truth is, if you're not physically there and you can't go to the Kastropa Straße and you can't go to the game, experience it close up, then it won't be as compelling from afar for fans here as the Revier Derby with the Blue Club because it lacks the historic arch and the recent history and the memories that we undoubtedly share, good and bad. And that's really what makes derbies derbies. But to end the segment on a high note, I want to give a big shout out and congratulations to our handball ladies who crowned themselves German champions for the first time. After already dominating the league last year, their season was cancelled and no winner was determined. So this year, they just came back and they won every game. Our president, Raubal, is a big fan of handball and it's also very popular in the region. So it's great that they were able to hold the team together and continue their strong run. They have only one more game to go and they could wrap up a perfect season, an undefeated season, with a final W. Very well done, ladies. Congratulations. Oh, and speaking of ladies... Borussia Dortmund will field for the very first time a women's team with the start of next season. And we'll be sure to talk about that a little more when the time comes. And Dortmund against all the odds are European champions. This Friday on May 28th will be the 24th anniversary of Borussia Dortmund's biggest night in soccer ever. The win of the European Champions League final. So we're going to use this episode to take you back to this one special night in Munich. If you want to hear more about how Dortmund got there, I can recommend going back to episode 6 and listening in about the semi-finals versus Manchester United. A lovely ball for Philip Neville. Now can he find the right sort of cross? Giggs! Oh! And the reincarnation of Jürgen Kohler as soccer god in Dortmund. A Champions League final is always a big deal, but this particular final, Borussia Dortmund's final, had so many twists and anecdotes that it was just so much richer. And then of course, it ended on the result that we all hoped for, 
but didn't even dare to dream. And I will share some of these with you right now. The Champions League final 1997 was held out of all places in Munich's Olympic Stadium, home of BVB nemesis Bayern Munich, who had just reclaimed the domestic title from Borussia Dortmund. But seeing the black and yellows lift world soccer's most coveted trophy as the first German team in the new Champions League format in Bayern's living room, well, surely that would leave a sour taste in their mouth. Borussia Dortmund's opponent, Juventus Turin from Italy, were the overwhelming favorite. In a way, Juventus were the international measuring stick for Dortmund. They played each other eight times in only four years. Poi Deschamps, ma subentra Zork in combinazione con il giovane Ricken, ora Reuter. It started in the UEFA Cup final 1993, where Juventus beat Borussia Dortmund over two legs and then kicked Borussia out again in 1995 in the UEFA Cup semifinals. Out of the first five games between the teams, Borussia was defeated four times and could only manage one tie. But Juventus wasn't just too tough a nut to crack for Dortmund. Juventus were the best team in Italy, being the best team in the world. Turin made it to the final in 1996 and 1997. But while Juventus was at the top, Dortmund was on the rise. And in 1995, it had awoken from its two-decade beauty sleep and was back atop the German soccer pyramid, winning the league for the first time in 32 years. Dortmund's reward for their troubles? Another matchup with Juventus, this time in the Champions League. Here, they lost again in the first match at home, 3-1. But in the return leg, Borussia Dortmund came away with a crucial 2-1 victory, beating Juventus Turin for the first time and qualifying for the knockout rounds, where they fell to the eventual runner-ups, Ajax Amsterdam. The winner of the 1996 UEFA Champions League, Juventus Turin. But Borussia Dortmund had drawn blood and they had shown that they were able to beat Juve on their own pitch. And after missing out five times, they finally got one over on Juventus Turin. The gentle shift in power over the years was also spurred by a shift of players from Juventus to Dortmund. Jürgen Kohler, Andreas Müller, Stefan Reuter, Julio Cesar and at last Paolo Sosa had all switched from Bianconero to black and yellow. And the extrovert Portuguese was especially pissed at Juventus. He had just won the Champions League in 1996 with Juve, but then was deemed dispensable and dropped from the team. But hey, they still had Zinedine Zidane, Alan Boxic, Didier Deschamps, Ciro Ferrara, Christian Berri, Alessandro De Piero. They were the title holders and in the semi-final in 1997 had trashed the 95 winners and 96 runner-ups Ajax Amsterdam 6-2 on aggregate, while BVB had escaped its semi-finals by the closest of margins, two 1-0 victories over Manchester United. Juve were rolling, they were loaded and deemed superior. And Juventus were the favourites coming into this match and I think this is when you have to pay attention to the mental part of the game and how things just kind of came together for Borussia Dortmund at the right time. There is an emotional component to this that kind of brought Borussia Dortmund together and said, you know what? We have a chance here. We're going to give ourselves an opportunity. And while Juventus may be the favorite and maybe they'll control most of the ball in the first half and they're going to create some chances. And Dortmund Eichel Michael Zorc sensed the same sentiment with the Juventus team. Uh, Juventus also never thought they could possibly lose to us. Only 
The players didn't seem to care about the odds. They were locked in. They had already scrambled away the league and a shot at a three-peat. So now all eyes were on the big cup with the large handles. And while Juve had shiny names, BVB weren't scrubs. They had a fantastic team with experienced players, World Cup winners, the 1996 Ballon d'Or winner Matthias Sammer and so on. And they knew what they were up for. Listen to Dortmund's Scottish midfield engine Paul Lambert. I was no nervous at all. I wasn't, I wasn't nervous in any shape or form. And I remember going on the team bus and uh, you could hear a pin drop. And that was last at one World Cups and Serie A titles and Bundesliga titles. So I knew the magnitude of the game was going to be huge. Lambert put Zidane on a leash, assisted on the first goal and became the first Brit to win the Champions League and the first Brit ever to win a European Cup with a non-English team. I can't speak highly enough for the Dortmund fans. You can't because of the way they are and the colour that they, they portray their club. Getting to the stadium, I just remember it being full, half a yellow-black, half black and white. And the atmosphere was huge. Borussia's starting eleven consisted of Stefan Klose and goal, Matthias Sammer, Jürgen Kohler and Martin Kreh holding down the back, Stefan Reuter, Jörg Heinrich, Paul Lambert and Paulo Sosa in midfield, Andreas Möller and up front Karl-Heinz Riedler and Stefan Schapusa. They had a mix of experience, savvy, creativity and hard work. And for example Martin Kreh, who is a typical unsung hero, a robust and relentless defender with a shot like a cannonball. His shot speed was measured to be almost 90 miles per hour. Damn! That's the speed of a fastball, with an air-filled soccer ball, struck with a foot. Absolutely crazy. And Martin Kreh's roomie for the game was a certain Karl-Heinz Riedler. He woke Kreh up in the wee hours before the game and told him of a dream he had where he had scored two goals in the final against Juve, one with the head and one with the left foot. Here's a German soundbite from Kalle talking about it. In der Nacht hatte ich das wirklich geträumt. Ich, ich war mit Martin Kreh auf dem Zimmer gelegen und war da über Schweiß gebadet morgens um halb vier. Und dann habe ich gesagt, mein Gott, jetzt habe ich gerade geträumt. Ich hätte zwei Tore gemacht, so auf die Art. Und am nächsten Tag ist es dann wirklich eintreffen. To this day, he will tell you that he dreamed it exactly as it happened. And it proved to be quite visionary. Because despite a solid start from Juventus, Borussia Dortmund was up 2-0 on two Karl-Heinz Riedler goals. One with the head and one with the left. And both goals were huge. The first one shook Juve, who seemed to be content with just playing around patiently and looking for an opportunity. Never had they thought to fall behind. On the other hand, chests were swelling in the iconic neon yellow shirts around the pitch and kicked the work rate into another gear. It cemented the belief that Borussia Dortmund could win this thing and set all eyes on the prize. Listen to Lampert about his cross. I just remember Otmar saying to me, if you get the ball, just look for the diagonal because we think they're not as strong at the back. And when that corner came in and Peruzzi's punched it, the thing in the back of my mind was right away, diagonal. Muller to the far side, Peruzzi came on, he's down. Here's Lambert, right back inside, headed down, loose ball, shot, go! Now goal number two really provided a pep in the step for Borussia Dortmund. Andy Muller again. Played with the Juventus twice, two years. Scoring it! Riedler! Juve was shocked and they needed to get into halftime to reassemble. And Borussia Dortmund, they were right where they wanted to be. 
They knew all they had to do is hold out because Juventus would be coming out swinging, take their best shot and try to hit them on the counter to kill off the game. A young Lars Regen, who was sitting on the bench watching the game, was making his own observations all game. Peruzzi stand äh, eigentlich ständig zu weit äh, vor dem Tor. Und mit dem Gedanken bin ich tatsächlich auch ins Spiel gegangen. Ja, immer nur Peruzzi steht weit, zu weit vor dem Tor, Peruzzi steht zu weit vor dem Tor. Juventus goalie Peruzzi, who was a fantastic shotstopper with great reflexes, but not the tallest or quickest guy, often lingered way in front of his goal to have a few steps up on the onrushing attackers. So when Juve up the ante and Del Piero scored a goal lasso with a heel kick, Dortmund coach Ottmar Hitzfeld felt he needed to make a change to bring on some fresh legs and shift momentum. He turned to Ricken and told him, go out there and score the final goal. With only seconds on the field, Ricken sprinted directly into the action to get on a superbly timed through ball from Andreas Müller and with his first touch of the game, lobbed it over Peruzzi from 25 yards out, who had been far off his line. As you look at number 18, keep in mind, two of those goals were game winners. One against Oxair and one against Manchester United. He said that Chappas what didn't get nearly as much play in the second half as he did in the first half. Probably a combination. Ferraro went out to take care of him, but he probably ran himself out of gas a little bit too, the way he played in the first half. In his face, the fresh legs of Rickett. The shot! Rickett scores! The four words of German commentator Marcel Reif have been etched in the memory of every Borussia Dortmund fan and the millions watching the game on a Wednesday night across Germany. Ricken! Lopfen jetzt! Ja! Ricken! Lob now! Yes! Reif's commentary has been eternalized by the BBB Ultras as a TIFO. The goal was voted BBB goal of the century and it is comparable to Stanley Buda's 25-yard lob against Liverpool in the 1966 final. A goal for the ages. Borussia Dortmund had managed the unthinkable and crowned itself champions of Europe on that magical night in Munich 24 years ago. Thank you for listening again to Believe in Borussia, presented by Bet Online. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, don't forget to follow us or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or just drop us a line on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, wherever you can find us. And until next week, a black and yellow shout-out across America. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.